Welcome to Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. Information straight from the source. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Wisconsin Off the Record. I'm your host, DNR's Digital Media Coordinator, Katie Grant. The first Earth Day was a turning point for environmentalism in our country. The awareness it raised resulted in real changes, including the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency and the signing of the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts. Without these acts, there were few things in place to limit pollution. As a state, Wisconsin has made major progress in the last 50 years when it comes to air quality. To help us celebrate Clean Air Month and the 50th anniversary of the Clean Air Act, we wanted to learn a bit more about how the air was in Wisconsin in 1970, how it is today, and how you can help us keep the air clean for the future. On today's episode, we sat down with Gail Good and Brad Pierce. Gail is the director of the Air Management Program here at the DNR. In addition to her work for the DNR, she is a co-chair for the National Association of Clean Air Agencies Emissions and Modeling Committee. Brad is the director of the Space Science and Engineering Center at UW-Madison. He has more than 25 years of experience in the design, development, and execution of global atmospheric models. Since 2001, he has been the principal investigator of the Real-Time Air Quality Monitoring System, which has been used globally since 2012 to make real-time air quality predictions. Sit back and listen in to learn more about air quality in Wisconsin and hear the answers to questions you asked about it on Instagram. My name's Gail Good. I'm the director of the Air Management Program here at DNR. And I'm Brad Pierce. I'm the director of the Space Science and Engineering Center at uh, UW-Madison, and I'm an atmospheric scientist. Fantastic. So we are here today to talk about the 50th anniversary of the Clean Air Act. So what is the Clean Air Act? The Clean Air Act is one of the most successful pieces of federal legislation that's ever been enacted. You mentioned it was um, put into place 50 years ago, and that's that's true, actually. At the end of this year, right on December 31st, 1970, is when the Clean Air Act was signed into existence. It's gone through several amendments. Clean Air Act um, was designed really to um, cut down on air pollution while growing the economy. And the benefit of that, the cut down in air pollution, is that it's actually saved lives over the 50 years it's been in existence. Fantastic. Was it just for Wisconsin, or is it a federal thing that it covers every state? The Clean Air Act is a, a federal piece of legislation, so it does indeed cover every state. When it was enacted, what did it initially mean for residents of Wisconsin and, I guess, the entire country? From personal experience. Yeah. Uh, so I remember driving. I grew up in Minneapolis, and we had family out east. I remember driving through Gary, Indiana, on the way out east in the in the early 70s. And you could smell Gary, Indiana mm-hmm. at that point, and it was very polluted. And now when you drive through Gary, Indiana, it doesn't smell like pollution anymore and the air is much better. So, you know, that's from personal experience seeing that change 
dramatically over the over my lifetime is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah when the act was um, first put in place in the 70s, it really gave us the ability to begin to study air pollution and its effects and how much it was kind of impacting people and you know, the world around them. And then over time, it's given us uh, the ability to you know write permits for sources and just understand air quality issues in, in even more detail. What does it mean for us today? Because it's still in place now, yes. So what, what does it mean for us today? What, what might we see that we wouldn't see if we didn't have the Clean Air Act today? So we're st- we implement the Federal Clean Air Act here um, in the air program at DNR. Um, we Basically what happens is through that act, EPA sets requirements and boundaries and um, things that, that we can do and implement here. So we're doing that here in the program. And then um, we wor- work within those boundaries to implement the act still today. So it's very much a part of what we're doing now in the air program. And you had mentioned seeing the change in Indiana, but what has changed about Wisconsin's air quality in, in the last 50 years? And how might people who aren't scientists notice a difference here in our state? So I think it's a little, I, I do kind of global air quality. So for me, it's a little easier to talk about it on maybe for the United States as a whole. Mm-hmm. And if I look back on uh, when I used to work at NASA, we were doing work with satellite data that was measuring the amount of aerosols in the atmosphere, so the particulates. And that's very relevant for the Clean Air Act because one of the, one of the uh, pollutants that's, that is regulated is PM2.5, which are small particulates. And as recently as 2000, 2003, when we looked at aerosols over the entire United States, we saw all sorts of heavy aerosol loading in the Ohio River Valley, in the southeastern U.S., and that would often get transported up into the into Wisconsin. We don't see that anymore. So much of that aerosol loading uh, that was in the atmosphere frequently is pretty much gone now, and that is from the Clean Air Act and the the uh, reductions in the uh, the sulfur dioxide emissions coming out of power plants. Okay, and you had mentioned PM 2.5. What is that? So PM 2.5 stands for particulate matter, which is small particles like dust that you can see uh, blowing through the air, but smaller than 2.5 microns. So those are very small. Those are smaller than the dust particles that you can see uh, in the sunlight when you see dust floating in the air. And those are particularly relevant because they can, when you inhale those, those can get deep inside your lungs and then have adverse health impacts. Okay. Sometimes we call PM25 fine particles. Um, so you may have heard that term before too. And um, that's fine particles. That's really a, a success story here in Wisconsin. We did used to have areas of the state um, in the southeast part of the state that we called non-attainment for PM2.5 or fine particles. And what that means is that they aren't meeting the federal PM2.5 standards. We don't have PM2.5 non-attainment areas in the state anymore um, through successful regulation, through um, cutting emissions. Um, We've been able to see those areas that were previously not meeting the standard now meeting the standard. So that's good news. And, you know, part of the success of how the act works is it really um, allows you to, to regulate, set those boundaries, set those requirements, and see real reductions in emissions that lead to uh, reductions in measured concentrations of these pollutants. 
Yeah. Are there, you mentioned that it was fine particles, correct? Is is there any other kind or is, is PM 2.5 really what the only thing that we're watching for? No, we also measure PM 10 in the state. So that would be um, particulate matter with a diameter of 10 microns or less. Um, we also have at times measured what's called total suspended particulate um, or particles that are even larger in size. We're primar- primarily now focused on um, PM 2.5 because of the health impacts that it can have. Fabulous. And then there's also some of the other pollutants that are regulated are ozone. So that's the other side of the coin that the Clean Air Act controls ozone abundances as well through controlling different emissions. Does all of Wisconsin meet those federal standards today? And if not, what is the DNR doing to change that? That's a good question. So 94% of the population of our state lives in an area that's meeting all federal standards, but we do have some areas of the state that we do consider non-attainment that aren't meeting all of the federal standards. Um, Brad actually just referenced um, the pollutant that has been a per- persistent concern for us in Wisconsin, that's ozone. We do have some ozone non-attainment areas uh, along our lakeshore, which is where we have historically um, seen these ozone non-attainment areas. That's really due to um, the, the unique kind of meteorology um, that can occur in that area, and then the geography um, along the lakeshore as well. So, um, and also, um, besides the meteorology and geography, we're really subject to a lot of transported pollution from areas out of state. So um, if you can imagine a nice summer day where you have southerly winds, so winds coming up from the south, pulling um, some of the pollution that may be formed in other, or being emitted in other areas um, up over our lake shore. During the day, on a nice, hot, sunny day, you take these, um, ozone's not directly emitted too, we should say, it's actually formed um, from a reaction between nitrogen oxides and volatile organic compounds. Um, A nice sunny day, those kind of cook in the sunlight out over the lake. And then um, if you've ever been um, kind of visiting the lakeshore on one of those summer days, you might have noticed that the breeze picks up um, later in the afternoon often. So that ozone that's formed out over the lake then gets carried on to the lakeshore um, with that lake breeze. And so that's why we tend to see um, some higher concentrations of ozone along our lakeshore and have historically had a a persistent non-attainment issue there. How does Wisconsin compare to other states in implementing the Clean Air Act? Are we, we're, we're doing the best, right? We're, we're awesome? <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> different states implement um, the act in different ways. Um, some states um, are um, implementing it very, implementing the act very directly. We're um, what's called a, a state implementation plan state. We are able to work within the boundaries of the Clean Air Act and the requirements that EPA has um, to to write our own rules so that we're able to implement them in the ways that we need to 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 meet the requirements of the act. So a little bit of a difference, Um, but everybody is really implementing um, the Clean Air Act in the way that EPA requires them to. I I can chime in on that too. I've I've worked with uh, regulatory agencies in California. Uh, I've worked with them in Texas. I've worked with them in the mid-Atlantic states and in Long Island and New York states, and I've worked with Wisconsin. And so uh, Wisconsin's the only place where 
I've been able to actually participate in a field campaign to try and understand exactly that ozone problem that we have along the western shore of Lake Michigan. <clears throat> so I'd say Wisconsin is, is one of those uh, areas that is really going out of its way to try and address the, uh, the exceedances that it has and understand them better. That's what we like to hear. Wisconsin is always the best, right? And you did ask what we're doing um, to, to try and address some of our issues. So maybe we can spend a few minutes talking about yeah. that because there are a lot of things that we do to try to address our ozone issues. Brad mentioned one. Um, we have done and, and actively participated in and engaged with a lot of our partners like Brad at the UW um, to try and understand the issue. Um, you can't uh, solve an issue until you can kind of measure it and, and then um, and understand it. And so we've spent a lot of time um, doing just that. We also, um, we work with an organization um, called LADCO or Lake Michigan Air Directors Consortium. They're a really important partner for us in working through some of the technical details that help us um, understand and define our ozone problem um, so that we can work toward resolution. It also gives us a forum to engage with other states. Um, so I did mention that, you know, we are responsible for some of our air pollution, but there's a portion of it that um, really is being transported to us from out of state. So working through LADCO gives us a forum to work with those other states to address some of those issues. That's just a few of the things that we're doing. And Brad, maybe you want to expand a little bit on um, some of the more specifics of some of the study that we've done. So yeah, we conducted uh, the Lake Michigan ozone study uh, in 2017. There actually was an earlier Lake Michigan ozone study that was mostly uh, coordinated by the Wisconsin DNR. And uh, as, as Gail mentioned, what's happening in terms of the ozone chemistry is happening out over the lake. So we don't have monitors so that we can measure what's happening. So you need some unique ways to, to look at uh, what's going on over the lake. The first Lake Michigan ozone study had aircraft uh, that did profiles out over the lake and, and over land to try and get some idea uh, of, of what was going on. So you'd actually have a uh, a measurement of the concentration of aerosols and ozone and its precursors uh, right over the lake. We sort of took that and, and broadened the scope of the measurement. So we not only had aircraft that were doing profiles, so we know what the vertical distribution of ozone and other pollutants are, but also doing mapping uh, so that we can actually see maps of that uh, ozone precursor concentrations out over the lake on land and relate that to the to the unique transport that's going on in in the area the unique meteorology we also had a number of different ground-based measurements that were all along the shore beginning in Schiller Park uh, in Chicago right outside of Chicago O'Hare and moving all the way along up the western shore up to uh, Sheboygan Wisconsin and made those measurements continuously during uh, May and June of 2017, um, and also had some additional enhanced measurements at one site in Illinois. So again, in partnership with LADCO and the, the Illinois Department of Environmental Quality, uh, we had a site there, uh, and we had a site up in Sheboygan where we were able to look at very detailed chemistry and meteorology in those regions. So we're, we're in the process of of analyzing that data now, beginning to publish uh, results of that. Uh, we're at Wisconsin, at uh, Madison, we're taking that 
uh, a step further right now in trying to use those measurements to help improve our ability to model, to forecast the meteorology that's associated with these ozone enhancement events. And we're working with the Wisconsin DNR and the Lake Michigan Air Directors Consortium uh, in a project funded by NASA to try and build the best modeling platform so that uh, we can capture that unique meteorology and then use that to better understand how to control emissions to reduce ozone in the future. Yeah. It sounds like we know a lot, but there's still a lot for us to learn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I think we have a relatively unique situation here. Um, there are other shoreline areas yeah. that experience <clears throat> something similar, um, like we do, where we're seeing elevated concentrations of ozone along the shoreline. But I think there are some uniquenesses to Wisconsin, and in particular, this side of Lake Michigan that we're still working to understand. And then Brad talked a little bit about, you know, how to determine what's happening over water. And I think that's an area that we're still really trying to understand a little better, um, you know, what really goes on to, with those pollutants as they're over water. Yeah. So we opened up on Instagram and let everyone know that we were going to be doing this episode and asked what sort of questions do our followers have about air quality and just the air in general in Wisconsin. So here's a couple of those questions. Does Wisconsin require vehicle emission testing? Why or why not? Yes, there are some parts of our state that do require vehicle emission testing. Um, those areas are um, Kenosha County, Milwaukee County, Ozaki, Racine, Sheboygan, Washington, and Waukesha counties. Um, the reason that we do that um, is that these are areas that have historically uh, violated the ozone standard. They were historically non-attainment areas. Um, some of them still are. Um, in some of them aren't, but when an area is not attaining a standard for some time, when it does eventually attain a standard and we're able to redesignate that area, we want to be able to maintain that good air quality in that area. So um, even some of those counties that are not at this point um, non-attainment, those requirements are in place to make sure that that area can maintain that good air quality and not be in a situation where they're violating a standard again. Yeah. And I think, simply put, part of the reason we've seen such reductions in emissions over the last 50 years is, is kind of twofold. One, we put scrubbers on power plants, and that reduced both uh, sulfur dioxide and nitrogen dioxide emissions. And we put catalytic converters in cars. And if those catalytic converters aren't functioning properly, then we're back where we were in 1970. So those... Uh, the, the emissions testing is to make sure that the technology that's been developed and put in place to reduce emissions is still functioning right. Yeah, makes sense. You've kind of alluded to this already, but why does Door County have some of the worst air quality in Wisconsin at times? Yeah, that's a really good and interesting question. Um, so I mentioned that the lakeshore areas are where we tend to see our higher concentrations of ozone. Door County, right, is um, up at the, the you know, tip of that Door Peninsula, and um, there aren't a lot of sources of air pollution there, so you might not expect to see high concentrations of ozone there 
um, like you might expect to see in some other parts of the state that do have some more of those um, typical kind of emission sources. Door County is interesting, though. I mentioned um, earlier that um, some of the ozone issue um, is, is really caused by transported po pollution from, from out of our state. And also um, on those nice summer days where you have that southerly wind. So sometimes if you were able, we, we do actually provide air quality information to the public. So you can kind of see how the, the monitors that we have along the lakeshore that are measuring air quality, you can see how they change over the course of a day. And so sometimes what you see, if you can kind of imagine that southerly wind um, coming up along lakeshore, transporting that pollution and cooking over the lake and kind of working its way up the lakeshore, what we'll see is um, kind of the, the, you'll see the concentrations increase over the day from south to north. And so then eventually towards the end of the day, as that southerly wind has kind of helped push that pollution up along the lakeshore, you'll see Door County and the monitor that's there at Newport State Park, you'll see that monitor show an elevated concentration of ozone, often towards the end of the day, because that southerly wind has just worked, has helped push the pollution up to that point. How big of a difference is there in air quality between the northern part of the state and the southern part of the state? Um, well, that depends on what type of pollution you're talking about. Um, there is a difference. We talked about PM25 a little bit earlier and what that is. We do see differences in PM2.5 concentrations as you um, look from north to south. Um, the southern part of the state and especially the, the southeast part of the state tends to be uh, more heavily populated. So you have more vehicles um, and you also have more industry relatively, you know, relative to the northern part of the state um, down south. So we do tend to see higher concentrations of fine particles in the southern part of the state compared to the northern part of the state. What types of jobs are available with the DNR involving air quality? We have lots of jobs. <laughs> we um, actually, we um, have about, at any given time, between 110 and about 120 people um, working in the air program, so working on air quality issues. Throughout the state or just here in Madison? Throughout the state. Um, we've got probably about 40% of the program working here in Madison and about 60% of the state um, working around the state. Um, we have people um, here that are um, obviously monitoring the air quality. We've talked about that a lot here. Um, so we, we do have a fair number of people who work around the state to make sure that those monitors are operating correctly and that they're doing what they need to do um, to record concentrations so the public can understand what's going on with their air quality any given day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, we also have people here um, who do a lot of policy work. I mentioned that the, the act, you know, we're, we're really implementing federal requirements here. So we have a lot of policy folks who look at what those federal requirements are, keep track of changes that are being made at the federal level, and work on how we're going to implement those throughout the state. We do write permits for our sources around the state as well. So we have um, a lot of engineers working in the program who um, write permits to make sure that people understand um, what they have to, what they need to do to be able to comply with different standards. Um, we have compliance inspectors who go out and work with the sources to make sure they understand the requirements of their permit and to make sure that they understand how to operate their equipment um, and, and how to remain in compliance um, with the standards and, and with their permit. And then, you know, finally, we've got to make sure that we have people who can um, we've got to have funds basically to do our work. So we, we rely heavily on um, 
revenue kind of that we're bringing in from the sources. Um, and then also we rely on federal grants um, to do our work as well. So we need people to help us do that um, also in the program. So ra- really a range of jobs. Yeah. And meteorologists to help forecast air quality. We do yeah. have a meteorologist on staff. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I always get emails from him. At the, as soon as I leave the office, <clears throat> I get the email, hey, we're going to have to issue an alert tonight. And I'm like... <laughs> I just got home. Well, just got home. We're always out there making sure that air quality is good for people. We want people to know what's going on with their air quality, and our meteorologist is a critical part of that um, and, and the work that we do to make sure the public's informed about what's going on with their air. Yeah. That's another good example of how Wisconsin collaborates with all the states within the Great Lakes area because those meteorologists get together. Monday, Wednesday, Friday during the uh, the ozone season in particular to say what's the outlook here and, and they're working together uh, across you know from various different states to get the best idea of what's happening. Yeah. So, what is the protocol here in Wisconsin uh, for responding to air quality events like the Northern Metals Fire in Minnesota? I'm really glad you're asking that because that's actually a place where our meteorologist is is really critical as well. Um, Our our, um, staff meteorologist is constantly um, watching what's going on um, and looking for situations like fires that may um, become impactful to our state. So our our meteorologist is looking at maps, collaborating with other um, forecasters across the state to understand what's going on, whether it be something that's happening in Canada Minnesota, as you mentioned, Um, and and looking at satellite imagery and lots of other different tools to understand if we might be impacted by wildfire smoke here in Wisconsin. Another important tool that we have to identify um, smoke events or wildfire events is our monitoring network. Uh, We talked about PM 2.5, and when we do see wildfires that are impacting our state, um, if if that wildfire smoke is making it down um, towards the ground level, we will see that in our monitors and we will record higher concentrations of PM25. So the meteorologists and the monitoring folks are working together to um, keep an eye on situations like that. And then we do try to use a variety of means to get information out to the public. Our air quality mapping is available anytime. Um, uh, You can go and take a look at your air quality um, through the web at any time. We do also try to utilize social media um, when we're seeing events to really spread the word that, hey, if you're seeing kind of hazy air today, um, we are being impacted by smoke and we're seeing that on our monitors and, you know, a person may want to keep track of of that um, to make sure that, you know, if the levels of smoke are getting kind of elevated and we're recording higher concentrations, um, certain individuals may just want to be aware of that to be careful about being outdoors at that time. Yeah. From your re- research perspective, um, do events like that mean anything for you? Is it a, a, an opportunity to explore this more? So the event you were first referring to was a factory fire. Okay. And I guess the other part of that is the the local air quality management works with the EPA to make sure there, if there is any toxic pollutant, so not just yeah. the, not just the ozone and the PM two point five, but but toxics, that monitors are deployed in the vicinity of of that incident, so that the public is, so that that ambient air is monitored, and looking for for any toxic release. So I think that was a big part of 
that deployment. The fires, the wildfires in general, are something that, that as a researcher I'm very interested in. And it's really, as I said earlier, we used to be concerned about regional haze events because of sulfate aerosols. And those are largely, those don't happen as much now. But as you know, fires in the western U.S. and often in the southeastern U.S. are uh, now quite prevalent. And so we do look at those very carefully. And again, we use satellite measurements because in some cases these are large enough plumes that you can track them across the country and out over the Atlantic Ocean. So that's an area that we're researching quite a bit right now. Yeah. yeah, so really it does really depend on the, the type of fire that we're looking at in terms of the response that we might right. have and, and how much the program might get involved in, in looking at that. There's certainly been other types of um, fires that, you know, at sources where we've been concerned about um, one pollutant or, or another, um, and, and we would get involved in that in a variety of ways, usually in providing some technical assistance to folks like EPA who um, mm-hmm. do more response monitoring um, for different toxics and helping kind of analyze the data and um, just informing the public where we need to. Does pollution here ever get trapped close to the ground like it does in Salt Lake City? Why or why not? It does. Um, that typically happens in something called a temperature inversion. So that's normally, um, if you could kind of imagine yourself at ground level and then kind of traveling up through the atmosphere, you would expect the temperature to get colder as you moved from the ground up. Sometimes, though, um, in a temperature inversion, the temperature actually might um, actually rise as you go up. And so um, oftentimes we'll see these in the winter where you have um, from the ground to a certain level, the temperature is going down but then there's a, a spot where the temperature starts to go back up and that's called a temperature inversion it kind of acts as like a lid if, if you will um, and can trap pollutants that is what you're referring to in Salt Lake City that does happen and it can happen here as well it's that temperature inversion out over Lake Michigan that leads to the trapping of those pollutants and some of the ozone enhancements along the shore and that's something that happens in the springtime when the water's cold and you get this uh, colder marine boundary layer. Okay. What can residents do to help further improve the air quality here in Wisconsin? Thanks for asking. There's a lot um, that people can do to learn about their air quality and take action. Um, I mentioned earlier that we offer um, access to our monitor data all the time through our website. That's a really great place to kind of learn about air quality, learn what's going on with your air that day, and stay informed. Um, We also do offer some uh, mobile applications for that too. So you can go, whether you're Google or um, an or Apple, you can go um, to wherever you go to get your apps and look for Wisconsin AQM and um, download an application that can help you really stay informed about what's going on with your air quality throughout the day. There's also actions that anyone can take Um, We do have a a page on on our website called um, Do a Little, Save a Lot, and it really helps people understand that they can do small things that can be very impactful to their air quality. So it might be things like, you know, considering a different type of lawnmower or um, really working to make sure that you're using your vehicle most efficiently. Or Brad mentioned catalytic converters and, you know, getting your car checked out and making sure that it's working to its optimal function. There are lots of different things that um, people can do to, to really make a big impact on their air quality. Ride your bike, mm-hmm. take a walk instead right. of driving in the car. Yeah, good one. <laughs> 
So those little things really do make that big of a difference. They can, especially when we're talking about things like mobile sources or vehicles. Those are really impactful. So riding your bike is a great way to get exercise and to really reduce emissions from, from your vehicle. You have zero emissions if you're riding your bike. So that's a yeah, absolutely those things add up. You've been listening to Wild Wisconsin, a podcast brought to you by the Wisconsin DNR. Still have questions about air quality in our state? Send those questions to dnrpodcast at wisconsin.gov, and we'll work with Gail, Brad, and the rest of the air team here at the DNR to get you answers. For more great content, be sure to subscribe to Wild Wisconsin wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review or tell us who you'd like to hear from on a future episode. Thanks for listening.